give our attention now to the reading and the hearing of God's holy, inspired, and an errant word from Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and look, nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sustaining it for us, preserving it through the ages that we might have it this morning. We've heard it read in a language we understand, and we ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would grant to us spiritual understanding. Oh Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word. Teach us and train us, correct us, even rebuke us for righteousness sake. Oh God, make us more like Jesus, our savior. Help us, oh God, in our time of need. Bless your people, encourage and sustain them. And Father, help me, your servant. Protect me from error. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you. Oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Eric Fellman was the former director of the Moody Bible Institute's monthly magazine, once wrote an article about his time that he spent in China in 1980. Uh, while he was there, a friend had taken him to meet a man who was recently released from prison. Now, here is Eric's account. He says, upon arrival, a Chinese man in his 60s opened the door. His smile was radiant, but his back was bent almost double. He led us to a sparsely furnished room where a woman of about the same age served us some tea. And as she lingered, Eric says, I couldn't help but notice how they touched and lovingly looked at each other like young lovebirds. Unfortunately, he says, they noticed his staring and his smiling and they began giggling at him. Finally, the old man looked at him and said, it's okay. 
were newlyweds. Well, Fellman continues, I further learned that they were actually engaged in 1949 when he was a student at Nanking Seminary. On the day before their wedding, the communists seized the school and took all the students and brought them to a hard labor prison camp. For the next 30 years, this bride-to-be was allowed only one visit per year for 30 years. Each time, he says, following their brief time together, that man would be called to the warden's office. You may go home with your bride-to-be, he would say to him, only if you renounce Christ. Year after year, Eric says, for 30 years, this man replied with just one word, no, no. When asked how he was able to endure, this is what the Chinese man told Eric Fellman, with all that Jesus has done for me, how could I ever betray him? With all that Jesus has done for me, how could I ever betray him? Stories like this one remind us that following Jesus is costly. They remind us that following Jesus means making a daily decision to embrace him and him alone as our greatest treasure. They remind us that if we are to be faithful to him, it means there is no turning back to those things that he has called us to forsake for his sake. Stories like this one indeed remind us that following Jesus can be, it is, and it often will be costly. But they also remind us that the reward far outweighs any price we have to pay. This is what Luke is teaching us. This is what Luke is now calling us to behold. Already in Luke's gospel account, he's gone to great lengths to confirm both those facts about Jesus's early life and uh, the facts about Jesus's identity as the Messiah, the very son of God. Now, beginning here in chapter five, Luke is challenging his readers to go beyond certainty in knowing about Jesus, to go beyond just knowing facts about Jesus. Luke wants to move readers, he wants to move us toward the certainty of knowing the person of Jesus, knowing him as Lord, knowing him as my, our savior. And to begin this challenge, Luke begins with a story, a story that most of you are probably familiar with. Maybe you heard it in Sunday school. Maybe your parents or grandparents told you about it. Perhaps this is the 500th sermon you've heard on this passage, a story we're familiar with but it's a story that shows us what it takes to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. So here in Luke 5, 1 through 11, in this story of Simon Peter, we know him more as Peter, but it's Simon Peter, uh, to the story of his calling to be a disciple of Jesus, we're gonna find three simple things that each and every person who follows Jesus must 
possess. If you want to go ahead and write them down now, you can. These three things are one, a simple faith. Two, a repentant heart. And three, a new resolve. So we'll begin with the first of these things, a simple faith, a simple faith. In verse one, we are told that Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is just another name for what you might know commonly as the Sea of Galilee, okay? Jesus is standing by the Sea of Galilee, but Jesus wasn't just standing there. He was teaching the word of God. That's what he came to do, to proclaim the good news, to preach and teach the word of God. And you'll notice that as he was teaching, the people were pressing in on him, just as they were pressing in on him when he was healing all those people in Simon Peter's mother-in-law's home. The people are pressing in We tend to think of the people flocking to Jesus for his miracles, but let us not forget that people also flocked to Jesus to hear the word of God, to hear the word of God, to hear him teach God's word. But so great was this crowd that Jesus needs to figure something out. He's being pressed into the water. So he sees two boats by the lake and he gets into one of them, which just so happened to be Simon's boat. Now you notice where Simon is, right? He's off to the side. He's fished all night. He's off to the side with the other fishermen doing what fishermen did in the morning. They cleaned their nets. That's a nice way of saying that they were mending or tending to the nets. This is a a quite laborious job. You must cover every square inch of that net and where there is weakness, you must fix it. Where it is broken, you must mend it. If you need to know why, pretty simple. Fish can get out of holes, right? So you have to take care of those nets. So imagine this exhausted fisherman who had been fishing all night, tending to his nets. And here Jesus climbs in his boat and basically says, I have other plans for you, Simon. He has Simon to get back in the boat and push it off a little bit from land. Simon concurs, Luke tells us, and then Jesus sits down and begins teaching again. So this is a good strategy, right? Um, If you think about it from Jesus's perspective, he now gets to sit down and teach, right? Uh, So that might be good after standing all day, but even more, and maybe Austin could enlighten us on this a little bit later, but it's actually a good position for him to be in acoustically. As he's teaching from there, the way his sound would have reverberated off the water towards the people, more people could have heard him. And so this is strategic, right? For him to get out there, but it's more strategic than just acoustics and comfort. It actually sets the stage for what comes next. Look down at your text again to verse four. We had finished speaking. He said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He essentially says, hey, Simon, throw those nets back in, go fishing. Now, this is actually a very audacious request. Some might even call it a foolish request. I mean, there's a reason that professional fishermen like Simon were out fishing all night long. It was not only cooler at night, 
But years upon years of experience had shown them that the greatest and easiest catches were made at night by the light of the moon. And written text like we have before us doesn't really convey tone. But look again what Simon says. You can surely hear uh, maybe a burgeoning contempt in his voice in verse five. Master, we worked all night and took nothing. I like the exclamation point there. I think it helps. We worked all night and we took nothing. Perhaps, perhaps, and I conjecture, we don't know for sure. If he's anything like us, maybe he's thinking, what does this carpenter turned teacher know about fishing? Maybe he's even tempted like we might be, I know I might be to say, stay in your lane, Jesus. I was happy to let you use my boat, but please don't tell me how to do my work while you're in it. Nobody else would think that, would you? No, okay, just me. Well, no matter what he's thinking, Simon obliges. He obliges. After all, what has Simon seen to this point that the text tells us? He's seen firsthand Jesus's word at work. Remember, he was there. He surely saw his mother-in-law healed with just a word from Jesus. And he likely was there in the synagogue and saw the demon cast out of that man who was there in the synagogue with just a word from Jesus. So verse five tells us what he says just after this brief, we'll call it a protest. Look there, what does he respond? But at your word, at your word, I will let down the nets. I wanna point out that even though he might've been reluctant in this moment, Peter still obeyed. He still obeyed. This shows that he is well on his way to being a faithful disciple, to being a faithful follower of Jesus. He was willing to do what Jesus said even before he was absolutely sure if it was the right thing to do. He was still something of a skeptic but he was ready to cross the bridge of obedience in simple faith, believing not only that Jesus knew what he was doing by asking, but believing in Jesus for whatever outcome transpired. That's why I'm calling it simple faith. This is simple faith. Acknowledging that Jesus is the master and believing that his word is more than worthy to be obeyed believing that his word is true and more than worthy to be obeyed. This is not only true for Simon Peter, but it's true for each one of us who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus. I mean, consider how often the word of Jesus, which we have now, don't we, here? The very scriptures, the word of God, the word of the Lord, we might say, Consider how often the word of Jesus speaks so clearly to us that they even invade our own personal space. We might say, I know how to raise my kids, Jesus. I know how to run my business, Jesus. I know how to manage my own love life, Jesus. I know how to deal with my enemies, Jesus. I get to choose my own identity, Jesus. I know what's best for my future, Jesus. 
I know how to love on my own terms, Jesus. I know how to care for my friends and neighbors, Jesus. Stay in your own lane, Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you worry about my eternity, but leave today to me. Perhaps you never find yourselves responding that way to God's word. Or perhaps the spirit is even now showing you how you do. For any time we turn from God's word and go about it our own way, that's what we're saying. We take the very words of Jesus to be mere advice. Well, it'd be great if I could follow that, but I'm gonna do it my way. Great advice. Instead, of simple faith and simple obedience. Simple faith like that here of Simon Peter, simple faith lets Jesus go ahead and invade our personal space. It lets Jesus tear down walls and tear down doors and make himself right at home. It lets Jesus make our space his space. Or I might even say it recognizes that it's Jesus's space anyway and we gladly welcome him to make it his own. That's the first thing, simple faith. We see it right here. Peter says, okay, I'll do it at your word. The second thing that followers of Jesus must possess becomes very clear in verses six through 10. And the second thing is a repentant heart, a repentant heart. So Simon, Peter obeys and lets down the nets. And when he does, what happens? the nets enclose a large number of fish. So many that their nets begin to break. So many that everyone's astonished. Don't miss that. These are fishermen. They've seen big catches before. And to say that they're astonished tells you that that is, is something truly amazing. Peter then signals to his partners in the other boat, who are identified for us later as James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, Peter signals them and they come out to help. Look again at verse seven. So great was the catch, verse seven says, that the boats began to sink. He might literally have caught a ton of fish. Okay, this isn't just a fish story. It wasn't just that big, right? He caught a ton of fish. Well, this verifies for us what we know. Jesus is Lord of all creation, whether he knew exactly where the fish were to be in that moment or if Jesus summoned them by his divine will, we can't be sure, but it doesn't really matter, does it? What matters is that Simon Peter simply obeyed and Jesus provided, he provided above and beyond all that he or any other fisherman could ever ask or imagine. And it is by this miraculous provision that Simon Peter learns something else. He learns to do more than just take Jesus at his word. He learns the true sinfulness of his own sin. Peter's reaction to what happens is actually quite surprising. Look again at verse eight. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees and he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man Oh Lord, what we have here is at one and the same time, it's spontaneous and humble, right? Spontaneously humble act of contrition 
of even repentance on Simon Peter's part. Heedless of the danger that his boat is in. We're told that it's like sinking, right? That doesn't matter to him at this moment. What does he do? He falls right down then and there in the boat and confessed that he was a sinner. He confessed that he was a sinner. Suddenly he realizes that he is so unworthy that he's not even fit to ride in the same boat with Jesus, where he may have been questioning, what right does Jesus have to tell me what to do in my boat? He now realizes, what right do I have to even be here in the boat in the presence of a holy and righteous God? Now, some might question me and say, well, what exactly is Simon Peter repenting of? Of what is he repenting? Well, I think it's very clear. In this moment, God has used this miracle to reveal to him that Jesus was truly what Peter calls him. He first called him master. What does he call him now? Lord. Sure, Simon Peter had witnessed other miracles, but this miracle God used to open his eyes to see Jesus for who he truly is. Simon Peter here reminds me of Isaiah before him and maybe others who beheld the glory of God. And what was their response? to realize that you're in the presence of holiness. What does he do? He becomes undone. He becomes undone. He realizes that by contrast, to stand before a holy and righteous God, I'm nothing more than a sinner. Peter's not necessarily confessing and repenting of a particular sin, but rather he's confessing and repenting of his sinfulness, of his sinful nature. Sooner or later, every disciple will come to this point as well. The more we see Jesus for who he truly is, the more we will see ourselves for who we truly are. The more we grasp the wonder of our salvation, the more we come to understand the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of the great love that we have been shown the more we will come to see just how undeserving of such love we truly are. All of our boasting must come to an end. All of our self-righteousness must come to an end. And any sense of entitlement that we may have must come to an end as we grow in our comprehension of God's indelible grace and God's unfathomable mercy, those things must take the place of any self-righteousness, of any entitlement, of any boasting. How do we do this? We must come face to face with the exceeding sinfulness of our own sin. And we must turn from that sin and run into the arms of Jesus. Submerse ourselves in his blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The point here that I believe Luke is pointing us to is that those who follow Jesus must have hearts ready to repent, ready to recognize that he is indeed Lord. We see that heart in Simon Peter. But we see more than that. We see even more by how Jesus responds to him. This brings us to the third and final thing that followers of Jesus must possess, and that is a new resolve. 
a new resolve. Simon Peter's contrition, Simon Peter's repentance leads him to believe that he is not worthy of being in the presence of Jesus. That's natural, right? That's natural. When we realize the exceeding sinfulness of our sin, it leads us to say, I am unworthy to be here. What do our sinful and guilty hearts want to do? They wanna push Jesus away. But if we belong to Jesus, he doesn't allow us to do that. Peter says, depart from me. Instead, look what Jesus says to Simon Peter in verse 10. Words he'll say to him again in another scene on a boat. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. What comforting words to hear from Jesus. But then he adds this, from now on, you will be catching people. Men here is an inclusive word, men and women, you'll be catching people. You've heard it, right? Fishers of men. From now on, you will be a fisher of men. Literally, you will be catching men and women. Simon Peter may have been afraid that he was too sinful to be useful. Oh man, I know that feeling. I lived under that condemnation for a long time. Too sinful. I've sinned too great to be used. How many of you feel that way? Jesus assures him that there's something we can do to glorify God. That his usefulness is not subjective. His usefulness is objective because Christ Jesus has redeemed him and called him, made his own. He's a new creation. That stuff is gone. He no longer lives under condemnation. This is gonna be good for Peter later in his life, isn't it? He's gonna learn this lesson over and over again, uh, over, over, over again, right? Just like we have to learn it, just like I have to learn it. Jesus tells him, you can follow your repentance with service. So he gives him a new calling, a decisive new direction for his life. From this time forward, Peter would be an evangelist. The original language here, uh, I won't get too nerdy about it, but catching men, it's, it's in a, a tense that tells us it's gonna be an ongoing full-time job. This is gonna be what he does, and boy, does he ever, as Luke turns to the book of Acts. Right? Further, the word catching indicates kind of a catch and release. He's gonna be rescuing these people from danger. Now, that is not what most fishermen have in mind, right? <laughs> uh, when a fisherman catches fish, Sometimes we release, you know, but most of the time, especially in this day, what he's doing as an industry, they're catching them to eat them, not save them. They're catching them for food, for sustenance. But Jesus was calling Simon Peter to be a new kind of fisherman, one who rescues people from the deep sea of their sin and brings them safely to the shores of salvation. Peter was being called to be a rescuer. So how does Simon Peter and James and John respond to such an invitation. I argue that they respond in the only way a true follower of Jesus can respond in obedience. Look at verse 11 again. And when they had dragged their boats to land, they left everything right there, left it. And they followed him. Simon Peter now has a new resolve a new resolve to leave everything behind, 
and to follow Jesus. He doesn't know what tomorrow holds, but as you may have heard it said, he certainly knows who holds his tomorrow and every tomorrow after that. And that seems to be enough for Simon Peter. That's enough for him. Christ is enough. There's no debate. There's no settling on the terms of a contract. There's only resolve. Resolve to follow Jesus no matter the cost. I think this is one of the most dramatic moments in Luke's gospel. Simon Peter and James and John are leaving behind any career ambitions. They're leaving behind their old sins. They're they're leaving behind the safety and security of living the way they had always lived. And they left behind their right to call their own lives their own. And this is what it means to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus. Luke wants his readers, he wants us to know this, that the cost is high. You see, any of us who will call ourselves a follower of Jesus must also be willing to leave behind, to leave behind our selfish ambitions, to leave behind our sinful pleasures, to leave behind our comfort, our bitterness, our precious idols. We have to leave behind our own right to live the way that we want to live. We have to let go of those things to follow Jesus. Philip Ryken gave a helpful illustration here. I'll share it with you. He says, imagine what it'd have been like if Simon Peter and his fishing buddies if they had tried to follow Jesus without leaving everything else behind. Can you just picture them hauling their boats and nets around to all the towns and villages where Jesus would preach? Can you picture them, he asked, dragging all that equipment up to Jerusalem where Jesus went to die? Can you just picture what it would be like for them to haul all those things around just in case, just in case this following Jesus thing didn't work out? They could just put their boats down at the nearest lake and go fishing. It's silly, but think about it. If they had tried to do that, could they have ever really truly followed Jesus at all? They couldn't. Well, just like them, Jesus calls me and he calls you. He calls us to give our whole lives over to him. And we are only fooling ourselves when we pretend that we're following him, but we remain unwilling to give up anything that stands between him and us. Now listen, he doesn't necessarily ask us to give up every single earthly possession that we have in order to follow him. He doesn't condemn earthly material possessions. He's not calling each and every one of us right now to sell everything and do that. But he does call us to be ready to let go of them. So the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to let go? Or as a mentor used to always ask me, have you even asked him if he wants you to? It's a knife, isn't it? Have you even asked? Jesus, do you want me to let go of all this and follow you somewhere else? If Jesus called you to leave it all right now, would you? If Jesus allowed even the enemy to take it all away from you, Perhaps like Job, perhaps like that Chinese man that I mentioned earlier. If he had it all taken away, would you still follow him? 
Would you still follow Jesus? Would you have such a new resolve as Simon Peter has here? Would you gladly leave it all behind for the sake of following him? Only grace will allow us to do that. I would argue that only grace will even allow us to think that we are able to. Oh, how we are debtors to grace alone. Earlier, we sang a song. And those of us who trust in God's sovereignty, those of us who believe that salvation is truly by grace and through faith, those of us who call ourselves reformed, we often find ourselves uncomfortable with lyrics like we sang earlier. I would call it my most commented on song from the congregation. Do you remember what we sang? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Why do those lyrics make us uncomfortable? Why? Can't we both accept and celebrate God's sovereignty and our salvation and also embrace our call? daily call to follow him faithfully? Can we not do that? That's what this passage is all about. Luke is telling us that those who would be faithful disciples, those who would be faithful followers of Jesus must possess a simple faith, simple faith given by God to be exercised in daily obedience to Jesus and to his word. He's pointing us to the fact that faithful followers of Jesus must possess contrite, repentant hearts, hearts that recognize the exceeding sinfulness of our own sin and that are ready to confess and turn away from them and to turn to Jesus. And also that faithful followers of Jesus must possess a new resolve, a renewed resolve, we might call it, a daily resolve to follow Jesus no matter what and no matter where he calls us to go. So what is Jesus calling you to do? How is Jesus calling you to follow him in this life? Have you asked him? Have you taken time to ask? I do hope that no matter what your answer to that is, and I pray that you would spend time reflecting on it, don't shy away from singing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I'll spare you singing myself. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. May that ever be our song. May we never grow tired of saying it and singing it. Amen. And amen. Would you grab your bulletins? We have the...